What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And guys, this week, oh boy, I cannot wait to hear what you think of this review. Uh, We're talking about Black Widow, which is by far the biggest movie of the COVID era. Brought in tons of money to the box office. Tons of people are watching on Disney+. Plus. Uh, obviously, it's meant to set up, you know, this entire next phase of Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's a pretty important movie. And a ton of people want to see it. So uh, you guys know my thoughts on Marvel in general. I guess you guys stay tuned to see if that holds up with the Scarlett Johansson uh, standalone movie, Black Widow. In the over three years since Avengers Endgame dominated the culture and became the highest grossing movie of all time, albeit briefly, the world's most powerful entertainment conglomerate has been hesitant to advance the story for the most popular movie franchise in history, even a single inch. Through side quests and prequels and TV shows, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done little more than throat clearing, table setting, and teasing what will come after the first epic saga completed. The stakes are simply too high. Of the 22 movies that built the bridge to Endgame, all but two grossed over $500 million. Eight of them made more than a billion dollars. There's nowhere to hide a flop, and if the well goes dry, it would shift the tectonic plates of the entire industry. Unrealized potential allows for unlimited opportunities, while any definitive decision eliminates other potential decisions, which makes it really risky to end anything. Just ask George R.R. R. Martin. Kevin Feige and the rest of the Marvel Brain Trust are in the risk avoidance business, so they've switched from writing in pen to writing in pencil. That's why Black Widow, the universe's first female-fronted standalone movie, was shoved somewhere in the chronology between movie like number 17 and 18 or something. Its main character, Natasha Romanoff, is, spoiler alert, dead at the end of Endgame, which is awkward for the purposes of wringing out every ounce of earning potential for her character. So we dip in here with no introduction and also no big send-off, lest we eliminate the possibility of future appearances. Essentially, the movie wants its cake and eat it too. It wants nonstop action relentlessly through the first hour, and it wants quiet emotional moments too, which in turn feel abrupt and out of place. It wants giant climactic fight sequences, including an entire cloud-based thing blowing up and falling several thousand feet to the ground, with our heroes punching and kicking in midair where nobody important gets a scratch on them. It wants Natasha to fight against her sister, then immediately become best friends with her. It wants her signature ground landing pose to look cool, and then her sister to make fun of it, and then her sister to do it and look cool. It wants one ending and then adds a second ending and then adds a third to set up future projects. You get the point. Pure reward with no consequence. Basically, this is an entire movie built around the Chewbacca problem, which I talked about last week. Conceptually, nothing bothers me about a giant blockbuster movie needing to yada yada some realism for the sake of our heroes saving the world for the umpteenth time. But as opposed to frivolities like the Fast franchise or another recent CGI slugfest, Godzilla vs. Kong, it drives me a little crazy how seriously people take the Marvel Universe. Characters like Natasha Romanoff have been put through the washer and dryer so many times 
spun time after time through different emotional arcs in each movie that the character flattens into its broadest and most accessible but least interesting form. She's a symbol, an avatar, far more than she is a person. That's why the best part of Black Widow is the introduction of Natasha's sister, Yelena. The character feels fresh, still new enough to infect the rest of the movie with that new car smell of humanity. The same can be said for the pair's parents. Any sincerity, emotion, or humor can be credited to the newcomers. It helps when those newbies are played by the incredibly talented Florence Pugh, David Harbour, and Rachel Weisz. The MCU has time and time again relied on bringing in top-tier talent to carry the pathos of what would otherwise be just punches and quips, yet their batting average is almost a 1,000% on finding the right people. Pugh, in particular, is easy to imagine as a leader in the next generation of heroes. She's charismatic, likable, and capable of doing all the action scenes. Really, in almost every case, Marvel has developed younger replacement for each Avenger as the original actors phase out, read, cash out. This stage is set for a new 20-movie saga, and yet the Marvel grand planners don't seem to have that in mind. A post-credits stinger appears to be sending Pew's Yelena straight into a TV series, and on another TV series, Loki, they've introduced a time travel concept where any character can have infinite variants in different timelines. So... Any character can be alive or dead or morphed into something entirely different? Hmm, how convenient. The Chewbacca problem is now canon. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. And it's working. I mean, Loki and other limited series on Disney Plus have been huge hits, drawing large, large audiences and scoring big with Emmy nominations that were released this week. Black Widow opened at $80 million, the highest total of the COVID era. And Disney broke protocol to let us know that the movie racked in another $60 million in pay-per-view purchases on Disney Plus in the first weekend. That's huge. From the perspective of blockbuster filmmaking, the movie really entirely deserves it. With respect to Vin Diesel and Mr. Kong, nobody does massive scale action set pieces better than Marvel. And every piece of the movie is coherent and perfect in a sort of on-the-nose sort of way, even to someone who doesn't follow the chronology like me. Larger questions like, why Cold War-style espionage matters when the universe has expanded to include intergalactic warfare and literal gods walking on Earth can be easily overlooked by the basic formulaic storytelling that each of these superhero movie, movies employ. See mission, do mission. I may not like what they're doing, and I may use every week on this newsletter to remind you all how many better options there are out there but even while I will admit it's difficult to continuously criticize something as universally successful and beloved as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But hey, just because it's difficult doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying. All right, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week's something new. It just dropped on Hulu after a very limited uh, theater and on-demand release. It's Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. You know, in, in the one for them, one for me world of Hollywood, I'm not sure there's ever in the history of movies been a more one for me movie than this. From Bridesmaids co-writers and stars Kristen Wiig and Amy, Annie, excuse me, Annie Mumolo. It's a B movie by design. So silly and ridiculous that it bears more resemblance to an SNL sketch. And I found myself on occasion just waiting for a wig to like break character with a laugh. 
with some very elaborate song and dance numbers and jokes so niche they're designed for maybe like 40 total middle-aged and recently divorced women who go to Florida for vacation, this movie was headed for cult status from its inception. If you're with a big group and looking for a movie you can laugh at as much as laugh with, this should be a first-round draft pick. Something old this week, it came out in 1975, and it's now playing on HBO Max. It's Three Days of the Condor. Now, watching this movie felt a bit like peeking down a magician's sleeve. The magic tricks of Jack Ryan, Jason Bourne, and several generations of cinematic super spies were suddenly revealed to me through the flowing locks of Robert Redford. Here, a bookworm for the CIA who gets caught up in a twisty plot to expose corruption with the help of an unsuspecting woman played by Faye Dunaway. Admittedly, the gender dynamics haven't aged well. And frankly, I'm not sure that Dunaway and Redford's chemistry passed the sniff test even back then. But all of Redford's spycraft work here is fantastic. I'd seen literally half a dozen of his spy tactics copied in movies released later, but few of them did it with the style and the charisma of Redford, who the very next year would deploy similar tactics in the name of journalism for all the president's men. The parallels between the post-Nixon paranoia and our current distrust of authority makes the plot surprisingly poignant, even if the spider at the center of the movie's convoluted web of plot is a pure hero, something the modern counterpart couldn't do, both because culturally we have now also distrust our heroes and because there are no longer heroic movie stars like Robert Redford. Really, no one ever was or ever will be again like Robert Redford. All right, something to stream this week. It's The Pixar Story, now on Netflix. This documentary was suggested to me from my friend Tyler. As always, everyone, please send me your recs. And Tyler loved it so much that he actually watched it twice. The story of how Pixar went from laughingstock to entertainment superpower is as fascinating as it is star-studded, including no less than Steve Jobs, Bob Iger, Michael Eisner, Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Billy Crystal, and the animators... John Lasseter, Brad Bird, and Pete Docter, the three men who literally created your childhood. I suppose the reason why they scored 100% participation is the worshipful tone with which they approach the subject material, which I usually hate, but in this case feels almost entirely deserved. Lasseter and his team essentially created computer-generated images, better known now as CGI. They basically created that. Opening a Pandora's box and beginning the technology sprint that has come to dominate modern blockbuster filmmaking. In that way, Toy Story is one of the most important movies in cinematic history. Without it, there would be no Marvel Cinematic Universe, no Jurassic Park, no Avatar. More importantly, Pixar went on a 25-year run of creating critical and commercial mega-hits back-to-back-to-back, a resume that has never and will never be matched. They went, and this is the order of the movies that Pixar released, Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up, Toy Story 3. That was from 1995 to 2010. Just an absolute, I mean, there's literally not a single one on there that is not just an absolute banger. I mean, Pixar is one of a kind, and if you want to know how they did it, the Pixar story is on Netflix. 
All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or through the newsletter, which is associated with this podcast. And that is at mattcraig.substack.com. That's where you can subscribe and uh, also see a trailer breakdown for the movie Pig, which I just have to tell you about briefly here. Nicholas Cage is like, a, a, he's a truffle hunter. He's basically like, Apparently, some kind of Michelin star chef that lives out in the woods uh, and hunts for truffles, except that the movie is called Pig because like half the trailer is him caring for his pig, whistling for his pig, petting his pig, and then the pig gets stolen, I guess, and Nicolas Cage is like about to go John Wick mode on him. <laughs> anyway, it looks absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's like the kind of trailer that you have to see to believe. Um, so you can check that out over at the newsletter, mattcraig.substack.com. Until next week, guys, I, it's going to be Space Jam. The main movie is going to be Space Jam. So <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say about Space Jam, but uh, we're going to be talking about that next Friday. Uh, I don't know what the other three movies are going to be, so let me know what you guys are watching, what has been great, what you've, yeah, what I should should watch. So uh, get in touch with me and let me know uh, some suggestions on your guys' end. Until next Friday, guys, as always, I guess I'll see you at the movies.